It's good to be before you this morning for this part of our worship service where we open God's Word together and study from it. Uh, We have mentioned uh, on several occasions already this year and leading up to this year that uh, at least a reminder that uh, a few years ago, the leadership in the congregation, the elders, uh, the deacons, and the preachers working with the elders uh, came up with a mission statement for Uh, the congregation, something that described how we were going to approach the work that God has tasked us uh, to do, and uh, have have indicated that uh, Caleb and I were focusing many of our sermons this year on how we actually do that. And so now that we've kind of returned from holidays and are getting geared up for this next year, if the Lord wills, uh, we wanted to sort of give an introduction to uh, that uh, mission statement uh, this morning. Uh, mission, our mission statement is strengthen our family uh, and influence our community by embodying the truth in love. That's, that is not something that we came up with extra biblical. It is something based upon what the Bible says and a way for us to effectively do that uh, in our community. Uh, many notable men outside of the Bible have made statements that reflected the idea that when you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And that's certainly not what we want to do. We want, don't want to fail in what we're trying to accomplish here. And so what do we need? We need a plan, and it needs to be a biblical plan. But it needs to be a plan that all of us can be involved in and one that we can execute in order to do the most we can uh, where we are uh, in our community. Far too many congregations do very little planning. And it's the beginning of the year, and before you know it, it's the end of the year. And nothing really substantive has happened because... There was never a plan to do anything substantive. And so we want to make the most of our time, our energy, our talent, our effort, and make sure that it's all focused and concentrated in a way that is going to glorify God. Uh, the wisdom wisdom is evident in clearly laid, faithfully executed plans. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 5 says, that the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. And so this morning is our beginning or introduction to this mission statement and and really the, the purpose and the meaning behind it. Now, I've highlighted part of it here because I'm going to do part of it this morning, and Caleb is going to handle the other half of it tonight. And what I'm looking at this morning is the component that says we're going to be about strengthening our families by embodying the truth in love. Our church family, but that also involves the individual families uh, in our congregation. Strengthening our family by embodying the truth in love. And uh, Caleb is, at least I expect that Caleb is, he's going to talk about influencing our community by embodying the truth in love tonight, or something along those lines. So this will be our study together this morning. 
And so first, we might ask the question, why have a mission statement? And quite frankly, as I would certainly be concerned about this, and, and I know you would be as well, is that even biblical? It is, is it even biblical to say, well, we have a mission statement as a congregation because we want to make sure that, that whatever we do is biblical and there's a purpose behind it that aligns with what the Bible says. And so why have a mission statement and is that even biblically? I won't ask you to do this, but let's imagine for a moment you took out your phone and you held it out in front of you. If everybody in here took their phone out and held it in front of them, I'm going to go conservative on this estimate, but I expect that probably 95%, at least 95% of the people who pulled out a phone and held it in front of them would have one that was made by one of two companies, either Apple or Samsung. And, you know, if you have anything other than that, Sorry, but Samsung or Apple, right? It's one of those two. And I would say 95% of the people in this room probably are represented by one of those two companies in the device that you use on a daily, hourly, minute, maybe, and we could talk about this later if we need to, maybe even by the second, your life is represented or connected to and involved in that device by two companies, Samsung and Apple. Do you, you think that just happened by chance, that, that those companies got to where they are today in impacting the lives of 95% of us, at least? No. They, they had a mission statement. They had a purpose and a name that they were trying to accomplish and they changed their behavior and modified their behavior in order to accomplish that purpose. And so there's a reason why companies have mission statements. Well, we're, we're not a company. We're not trying to earn money. We're not trying to be the, the best of the best, per se, like a business or a company would be. But we're trying to do what the Bible tells us to do. And we do that through having some kind of mission idea about the work that we are doing. There are a number of New Testament examples that we use. We may not think about it this way, but we use them as mission statements in life. You may have some of these verses written on your mirror in your bathroom. You may have them double highlighted in your Bible that they may be represented in some way in your daily life because there's something about them that speaks to the mission that you're trying to accomplish. Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So it was a situation where his disciples had some sense of concern about their daily provision. And Jesus says, look, I take care of the, the birds, I take care of the flowers of the field. You're more important than those things. Will I not take care of you? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. God will take care of you if you prioritize his will in your life. Well, that's a great mission statement. I'm going to seek first 
the kingdom of God. That applies at an individual level. It applies at a family level. It applies to church family as well. Or what about Micah chapter 6 and verse 8? Maybe you read this verse one time or you heard this in a sermon and you thought, that's a great mission statement. Maybe you didn't think that. Maybe today you will. What does the Bible say there? He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? That's a great mission statement for a person's life. And so the point is, the Bible emphasizes this idea of having a focused, concerted effort in executing the plans of my life. What about Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2? If then you were raised with Christ, if if you've become a Christian, if you've obeyed the gospel and you were buried in the waters of baptism and you were raised with Christ, what, what should be my mission as an individual Christian? Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. That, that would be a great mission statement. If I were trying to hone my efforts and get really focused about being a spiritual person in this, this world. One of my favorites is Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. And I think about this verse regularly. And I know some others in here have, have commented on the value that it is to them. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Is is your mind real cloudy? You have a lot of things going on in your mind, and you're looking for clarity so you can focus Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 would be a great mission statement. It's biblical, but it's purposeful in life. One more. Who hasn't thought of Joshua 24 as a mission statement? And isn't that exactly how Joshua used it when he challenged the Israelites as they were preparing to inhabit and and live in the land that God had promised so long ago? He said, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day who you will serve. Whether the gods which our fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. People who care little about the Bible have taken pieces of wood, they've painted it, and they've etched those words across it, and they've sold it in stores, online, to people, and people buy it and hang it in their house because it, it's meaningful. But it's only meaningful if I take it and say, that's a great mission statement for my family, and we're going to change and model our behavior to reflect the sentiments of that of that verse. And so why have mission statements? Is that even biblical? Well, we see the value of it, but we've seen that it's even biblical. 
Now, what about our mission statement? This idea of focusing on strengthening our families and influencing our community by embodying the truth in love. Is that statement a biblical one? I would like to turn your minds at least to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, where Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we're, we're to go out and we're to teach and convert people. We're to influence our community. Then what does he say? Teaching them to observe all things, whatever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, there's more teaching. There's more developing, even after the teaching that led up to someone obeying the gospel and becoming a Christian. The point I'm trying to make here at the outset is our mission statement is very biblical because it has been derived from the Bible in our planning and preparation uh, for this congregation. Number next, why is strengthening our family so important? As I focus on the first half of this this morning, why, why is it important that we give time and attention to strengthening our church family. You know, getting people in is a great first step. Getting people to the point where they're convicted by the gospel and that they obey it, that's, that is a great work. That's a great first step. But that's not the only step. There is so much more that is needed for us as a family than just becoming Christians. The real challenge, maybe not for all, all people, but in most cases, the real challenge is staying that way. Not sitting down and studying the Bible with someone and teaching them what the, gospel, the Bible says, leading them to the point of obeying it, but helping them stay that way. To strengthen them to the point that they stay connected to the truth and that they stay connected to the church. Getting them there is important. Uh, if you just think about Acts chapter 2, verse 41, those that gladly received his word were baptized and there were added to them that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people, that, that's great. That's a great first step. Verse 47 says, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church, to that number daily, those who were being saved. Acts chapter 5, verse 14, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes, both men and women. And so that's important. It's important that we influence our community, that we teach the gospel to people, but we're not done when we do that. We have an obligation and a responsibility to one another to help one another stay faithful to God, because quite frankly, this world is challenging. It's difficult. And there is a lot of effort to try to distract us from putting first things 
first. Edification is a, a major Bible emphasis. It's a major theme uh, in the Bible. And not just in the New Testament. I think about Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 3, or 35 and verse 3, rather, where the Bible says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Strengthen the weak hands to build up what needs to be built up, to, to uh, splint sometimes what is weak and needs to be supported. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, Peter says, But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, perfect, establish, strengthen and settle you. You see, even God is involved in this idea of strengthening and edification. Paul put a lot of effort into edifying the church. And you might, maybe in your mind, that word edification doesn't have a lot of substance and meaning. Just think built up. To edify is to build up, to strengthen and to support something. When Paul on his missionary tours, went through and converted Christians and established churches. You know what he often did on a subsequent trip to those regions? He revisited those churches that he had established and those Christians that he had converted for what purpose? Well, let's just listen. Acts chapter 14, verse 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. The first century influencers were about not only making Christians, but also strengthening them. In Acts chapter 15, verse 41, the Bible says he went through Cilicia and Syria, strengthening the churches. In other words, he's edifying. Acts chapter 18 and verse 23, after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. And so even Paul, when he would travel halfway across the world and he would make Christians through preaching the gospel, they were often in his mind, on his heart, his care for all the churches he spoke of. And when he had opportunity and occasion, he would go back. And he would work at strengthening, edifying, building up those congregations. Now, it would be unfortunate for you and for me to develop the idea that that's an external force that is uh, enacted upon the body of Christ. It's just as much an internal force that you and I engage in, strengthening one another and edifying and building up one another. That's a major theme in the Bible. Uh, Moses was strengthened. He was edified and supported in his work. Joshua was strengthened, edified, encouraged. Isaiah, in a period of depression, was strengthened and encouraged by God to return to his fight as a servant of God. And you and I, even though our names 
aren't specifically mentioned in this book were God's people, his servants, his family, and we need that same kind of support and encouragement. We go through difficult times in life. Maybe you go to work Monday through Friday and it just takes all the energy out of you. Hopefully, we create an environment here that encourages you to look forward to coming and worshiping God and being with this family in order to be strengthened and to be recharged. But a question for us as we think about why this is so important, why is strengthening our family so important? Maybe before we transition to our next point of observation, just think about this. Can you see visible evidence in your life of this taking place? Now, on the receiving and the giving end of that, of course, because we wouldn't want to expect something of others that we're not willing to do for them. So just think about your life for a minute and your involvement with the Roanoke Church of Christ. Do you feel like you get the kind of edification, strength, support that you need to stay faithful to God? It's so much that edification is involved in that. And I'm not trying to take away from the fact that primarily that's my responsibility regardless, right? But since it is God's desire that we encourage, edify, build up, and strengthen one another, do I, do I get that in my connection with this congregation? And then ask ourselves, do I give that? Is that what people get from me in this family? Do, do I go out of my way to make sure that I'm building up the family here? Because it's just as important that I receive it as it is that I, that I give it and I help other people. All right, number three. Why in love? Strengthening our family and influencing our community by embodying the truth. Of course, we're... We would never want to divorce the truth from this, but there's a qualifier here as well, in love. Why must this effort be accomplished in love? That's what we're getting at. You know, the meaning, the meaning behind what you do is usually a difference maker. Why you did it. You can't change the meaning of something. And so the meaning behind why I did it is important. You know, maybe the kid at home, don't raise your hand, <clears throat> has gotten crossways with a sibling. And your mother or your father says, you go right now and apologize. And the kid kind of under his or her breath says, I'm going to say I'm sorry, but I don't have to like it. Maybe you've done that. Well, it's really kind of pointless. The meaning behind it. Make, it's the difference maker. The why you do it. The why we do what we do is so important. And here's a why. 
for us focusing on a mission statement and being purposeful about what we do as a congregation. And as we think about this edification, this building up and strengthening component, let me give us some biblical meaning uh, behind this. The first one is love edifies. Now that's 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And in that context, Paul is talking about the freedom or liberty that Christians have, whether it's in the first century eating meats that were offered to idols, you know, meat that had been part of that service, that idolatrous service, but then maybe was sold in the marketplace. Uh, the question was, is it okay to eat that? It's not connected with a religious service. It's not connected with idolatry, but it was but now it's in the marketplace for sale. Can I eat that? And Paul says an idol's nothing. And certainly you can go buy that meat and eat it. But the problem with that was they were doing it in a way that was detrimental to the building up and the edification of their fellow brothers and sisters. You know, it's kind of like, well, I don't know about you, and I don't know what's going on in your spiritual mind and why you have a problem with eating this meat, but I'm going down to the marketplace, and I'm getting me about five pounds of this, and, you know, we're going to have it for dinner tonight. And I'm just very boastful about that and demonstrating that I have the faith to know that it's okay to do that. I'm not bothered. My conscience is not bothered by it at all, and I'm not really worried about your conscience. Paul says that that's that's not it. Because love edifies, love builds up. It doesn't deprive you of your right to do something, but if you do it in love, you don't do it in a way that's detrimental to those who are part of your family. And so the essence of 1 Corinthians 8 is, you know, don't, publish that don't make a big deal out of that don't do it even though it's right for you don't do it in a way that's going to violate the conscience of the weaker brother the, the one that's not at that place where you at, are at in your understanding of those things and so the point is here we're going to strengthen our families by embodying the truth in love we're going to do that in a way that actually helps and not hurts, not hurt, that strengthens, that doesn't tear down. Here's another component of the why in love. Love is the greatest. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, now abides faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now that doesn't diminish faith. It doesn't diminish hope. What it does is it really says that, that love actuates faith and hope. I, I can help people with their faith and with their hope in the way that I carry out my love for them. My genuine God-like concern for them. Or I can destroy their faith and I can destroy their hope without that. So here's the why. It's, it's important because love is the greatest in its impact, really, of every other aspect of our being a Christian family. 
the why we interact, the why we wait on one another, the why we go out of our way to do something that helps rather than hinders. Number three, we talked about this in our our study through the book of Colossians last year, but love is the glue. Paul talks about all of these Christian behaviors, but then he gets to verse 14 of chapter 3, and he says, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, the glue, really, that holds it together. I'm going to give you a, a visual illustration this morning that you can activate when you leave this building in just, in just a little bit. When you go out the building this morning, look over to the right, and see that column uh, that was uh, uh, defaced, at least. <clears throat> That's a light way to put it, right? Uh, by a truck and a trailer. And that thing, as the wind has blown it, it's just kind of been leaning more and more. But if you go out there this morning, you'll see a ratchet strap on that thing. Stephen put on there yesterday to try to keep that thing from moving anymore. And so it's acting kind of like a glue. It's holding it together. It would be good for us to think about love being that kind of bond, that kind of glue. I, I can't change all of the circumstances in a person's life. Some people are really dealing with difficult things and time and chance happen to all, all of us. And I can't change that. But I can affect the way that I interact with you and support you and help you. And we can do that to one another in a way that might take the edge off of it. That might be the very thing that keeps you from being a Christian one day and a quitter the next and so love is the bond of perfection sometimes that's the glue that you need from me and I need from you to, to keep it together and then number four in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 Paul says without love I'm nothing nothing if you just run over to the dictionary and you look up the word nothing, you know what it says? Not anything, no single thing. And so if I'm a Christian in this congregation and what I do is not motivated by love, love for God, of course, but love for you and our love for one another, it's nothing. That's why this is so important. Our last point, of course, of what can I do? We need this. What can I do personally to help accomplish this mission? A group of men, the elders, deacons, and preachers sit in a room. We came up with this idea. We reviewed it this year or at the right before the beginning of the year, and we said, yes, that still represents what we're trying to do here, so we have this mission statement before us. Now, what can I do? Let me just give us just a few very practical things that we can do to affect this mission statement for good. The first one is begin by asking the question. 
What can I do? What can I do? What can Joey do? What can Caleb do? What can I do to help strengthen the family here by embodying the truth in love? Number next, by proving yourself. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, Paul said, we're to examine ourselves whether we be in the faith, test ourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you become disqualified? If I'm disconnected from the body, I'm not going to be doing a lot in the body that's going to help accomplish the purpose and the mission that has been set forth. So I I need to be in the fight. I need to be in the battle with my brothers and sisters. So it would be a good idea to examine myself to make sure I'm in it. Am I connected? Am I part of this in a substantive and meaningful way? Number next, prioritize the church. That's not to the exclusion of our fleshly families, but, but it is a moderator of those relationships. I love my physical family, but they are not the most important family in my life. The church, the family of God, gets first place. Now, if I do that right, my family's not neglected, not in any way, not physically. Not emotionally, not spiritually. They're taken care of because I have my priorities right. So what about us? Is the church a priority in our life? Have we prioritized it correctly? And then number next, be a charge, not a drain. And I'm not not talking about money here. Don't, uh, you know, our minds might go to money. Maybe... Think of uh, you're, you're somewhere with your phone and it's at 50%. Let's, we started with phones, let's end with phones. You're somewhere and your phone is at 50% and you know you're not going to be anywhere where you can charge it for a while. And you don't, want to, you don't want it to run out of battery life. So what do you do? You start looking for things you might be able to close or disable that aren't going to be a drain on that battery. And if you happen to pass by a place where you can get a little bit of a charge, you'll take advantage of the opportunity and get a little bit of the charge. If I can make a leap from that to the spiritual side of things, think about my relationship with the church and your relationship with the church. Is it best characterized as a drain on the resources or is it a charge? Does it increase the strength or does it weaken it? And I think of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, obey those who have the rule over you and be submissive, submissive, for they watch for your souls, talking about the elders. As those who must give an account, let them do it with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Be a charge. Be something and someone who through their efforts increases and magnifies the strength of the church. And this morning, in particular, as it relates to strengthening our family by embodying the truth in love.
We may look back in life on a day, a month, a year, and reflect and say, I did not accomplish what I planned. You know, there's, there's some sense in which I look back on my year at things that I intended to get done, and I, and I didn't. My, my plan perhaps wasn't as strong as it needed to be. But we won't even reap the benefit of such reflection if we never have a plan to begin with. So I'm thankful to our leadership for their vision, for their interest in putting before us a mission statement that helps us focus and harness our efforts to be the kind of people God wants us to be in this community. Can I encourage all of us this morning to commit these sentiments, this statement to our memory and then think about our activity, our involvement relative to that mission statement to make sure that we are helping affect those causes and purposes that our leadership has deemed to be important and appropriate for us in our sphere of influence in the community of Roanoke. May God help us to do that. If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, I hope that you would consider obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism in water to have your sins washed away. Become a child of God. Become part of God's family, a member of this local congregation, perhaps, and then be involved in the work that we're trying to do very purposefully with one another and with the world that so desperately needs the gospel. If we can help you in any way this morning, won't you come as we stand and sing? Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you'd like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262, or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.